Section 27 of The Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3 Translated by Jonathan Scott This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry The Adventure of the Caliph Harun al-Rashid Part 4 The Story of Khawja Hassan al-Hubal Commander of the Faithful, that your majesty may the better understand by what means I arrived at the happiness I now enjoy, I must acquaint you there are two intimate friends, citizens of Baghdad, who can testify the truth of what I shall relate, and to whom, after God, the author of all good, I owe my prosperity. These two friends are called the one Sa'adi, the other Sa'ad. Sa'adi, who is very rich, was always of opinion that no man could be happy in this world without wealth, to live independent of every one. Sa'ad was of a different opinion. He agreed that riches were necessary to comfort, but maintained that the happiness of a man's life consisted in virtue, without any farther eagerness after worldly goods than what was requisite for decent subsistence and benevolent purposes. Sa'ad himself is one of this number, and lives very happily and contentedly in his station. But though Sa'adi is infinitely more opulent, their friendship is very sincere, and the richest sets no more value on himself than the other. They never had any dispute but on this point. In all other things, their union of opinion has been very strict. One day, as they were talking upon this subject, as I have since been informed by them both, Sa'adi affirmed that poverty proceeded from men's being born poor, or spending their fortunes in luxury and debauchery, or by some of those unforeseen fatalities which do not often occur. "'My opinion,' said he, "'is that most people's poverty is owing to their wanting at first a sufficient sum of money to raise them above want, by employing their industry to improve it. For,' continued he, "'if they once had such a sum, and made a right use of it, they would not only live well, but would in time infallibly grow rich. Sa'ad could not agree in this sentiment. The way, said he, which you propose to make a poor man rich is not so certain as you imagine. Your plan is very hazardous, and I can bring many good arguments against your opinion, but that they would carry us too far into dispute I believe, with as much probability, that a poor man may become rich by other means as well as by money. And there are people who have raised as large and surprising fortunes by mere chance, as others have done by money, with all their good economy and management to increase it by the best conducted trade. Sad, replied Saadi. I see we shall not come to any determination by my persisting to oppose my opinion against yours. I will make an experiment to convince you by giving, for example, a sum of money to some artisan, whose ancestors, from father to son, have always been poor, lived only from day to day, and died as indigent as they were born. If I have not the success I expect, you shall try if you will have better by the means you shall employ. Some days after this dispute, the two friends happened to walk out together, 
and passing through the street where I was at work at my trade of rope-making, which I learnt of my father, who learnt of his, and he of his ancestors, and by my dress and appearance it was no hard matter for them to guess my poverty. Sa'ad, remembering Sa'adi's engagement, said, "'If you have not forgotten what you said to me, there is a man,' pointing to me, whom I can remember a long time working at his trade of rope-making, and in the same poverty. He is a worthy subject for your liberality, and a proper person to make your experiment upon. I so well remember the conversation, replied Saadi, that I have ever since carried a sufficient sum about me for the purpose, but only waited for an opportunity of our being together that you might be witness of the fact. Let us go to him and know if he is really necessitous. The two friends came to me, and I, seeing that they wished to speak to me, left off work. They both accosted me with the common salutation, and Saadi, wishing me peace, asked me my name. I returned their salutation, and answered Saadi's question, saying to him, Sir, my name is Hassan, but by reason of my trade, I am commonly known by the name of Hassan al-Hubau. Hassan, replied Saadi, as there is no occupation but what a man may live by, I doubt not but yours produces enough for you to live well upon, and I am amazed that during the long time you have worked at your trade you have not saved enough to lay in a good stock of hemp to extend your manufacture and employ more hands, by the profit of whose work you would soon increase your income. Sir, replied I, you will be no longer amazed that I have not saved money and taken the way you mentioned to become rich when you come to know that, let me work as hard as I may from morning till night, I can hardly get enough to keep my family in bread and pulse. I have a wife and five children, not one of whom is old enough to be of the least assistance to me. I must feed and clothe them, and in our poor way of living they still want many necessaries which they can ill do without, and though hemp is not very dear, I must have money to buy it. This is the first thing I do with any money I receive for my work, otherwise I and my family must starve. Now judge, sir, added I, if it be possible that I should save anything for myself and family, it is enough that we are content with the little God sends us, and that we have not the knowledge or desire of more than we want, but can live as we have been always bred up, and are not reduced to beg. When I had given Saadi this account, he said to me, Hassan, I am not so much surprised as I was, for I comprehend what obliges you to be content in your station. But if I should make you a present of a purse of two hundred pieces of gold, would not you make a good use of it? And do not you believe that with such a sum you could become soon as rich as the principle of your occupation? Sir, replied I, you seem to be so good a gentleman that I am persuaded you would not banter me, but that the offer you make me is serious. And I dare say, without presuming too much upon myself, that a considerably less sum would be sufficient to make me not only as rich as the first of our trade, but that in time 
I should be richer than all of them in this city together, though Baghdad is so large and populous. The generous Saadi showed me immediately that in what he said he was serious. He pulled a purse out of his bosom, and putting it into my hands, said, Here, take this purse. You will find it contains two hundred pieces of gold. I pray God bless you with them, and give you grace to make the good use of them I desire. And believe me, my friend Sa'ad, whom you see here, and I, shall both take great pleasure in finding they may contribute towards making you more happy than you now are. When I had got the purse, the first thing I did was to put it into my bosom. But the transport of my joy was so great, and I was so much penetrated with gratitude, that my speech failed me, and I could give my benefactor no other tokens of my feelings than by laying hold of the hem of his garment and kissing it. But he drew it from me hastily, and he and his friend pursued their walk. As soon as they were gone, I returned to my work, and my first thought was what I should do with my purse to keep it safe. I had in my poor house neither box nor cupboard to lock it up in, nor any other place where I could be sure it would not be discovered if I concealed it. In this perplexity, as I had been used, like many poor people of my condition, to put the little money I had in the folds of my turban, I left my work and went into the house, under pretense of wrapping my turban up anew. I took such precautions that neither my wife nor children saw what I was doing. But first I laid aside ten pieces of gold for present necessaries, and wrapped the rest up in the folds of the linen which went about my cap. The principal expense I was at that day was to lay in a good stock of hemp, and afterwards, as my family had eaten no flesh meat a long time, I went to the shambles and bought something for supper. As I was carrying home the meat I had bought, a famished vulture flew upon me, and would have taken it away if I had not held it very fast. But, alas, I had better have parted with it than lost my money. The faster I held my meat, the more the bird struggled to get it, drawing me sometimes on one side and sometimes on another, but would not quit the prize, till, unfortunately, in my efforts, my turban fell on the ground. The vulture immediately let go his hold, but seizing my turban, flew away with it. I cried out so loud that I alarmed all the men, women, and children in the neighbourhood, who joined their shouts and cries to make the vulture quit his hold. For by such means these voracious birds are often frightened, so as to quit their prey. But our cries did not avail. He carried off my turban, and we soon lost sight of him and it would have been in vain for me to fatigue myself with running after him. I went home very melancholy at the loss of my money. I was obliged to buy a new turban, which diminished the small remainder of the ten pieces, for I had laid out several in hemp. The little that was left was not sufficient to give me reason to indulge the great hopes I had conceived. But what troubled me most was the little satisfaction I should be able to give my benefactor for his ineffectual generosity, when he should come to hear what a misfortune I had met with, which he would perhaps regard as incredible, and consequently an idle excuse.
while the remainder of the ten pieces lasted my little family and i lived better than usual but i soon relapsed into the same poverty and the same inability to extricate myself from wretchedness however i never murmured nor repined god said i was pleased to give me riches when i least expected them he has thought fit to take them from me again almost at the same time because it so pleased him and they were at his disposal yet i will praise his name for all the benefits i have received as it was his good pleasure and submit myself as i have ever done hitherto to his will those were my sentiments while my wife from whom i could not keep secret the loss i had sustained was inconsolable in my trouble i had told my neighbours that when i lost my turban i lost a hundred and ninety pieces of gold but as they knew my poverty and could not comprehend how i should have got so great a sum by my work they only laughed at me about six months after this misfortune which i have related to your majesty the two friends walking through that part of the town where i lived the neighbourhood brought me to saad's recollection we are now said he to saadi not far from the street where hassan the rope-maker lives let us call and see what use he has made of the two hundred pieces of gold you gave him and whether they have enabled him to take any steps towards bettering his fortune with all my heart replied saadi i have been thinking of him some days and it will be a great pleasure and satisfaction to me to have you with me as a witness of the proof of my argument you will see undoubtedly a great alteration i expect we shall hardly know him again just as saadi said this the two friends turned the corner of the street and saad who perceived me first at a distance said to his friend i believe you reckon without your host i see hassan but can discern no change in his person for he is as shabbily dressed as when we saw him before the only difference that i can perceive is that his turban looks something better observe him yourself and see whether i am in the wrong as they drew nearer to me saadi saw me too and found saad was in the right but could not tell to what he should attribute the little alteration he saw in my person and was so much amazed that he could not speak when he came up to me well hassan said saad we do not ask you how affairs go since we saw you last without doubt they are in a better train gentlemen replied i addressing myself to them both i have the great mortification to tell you that your desires wishes and hopes as well as mine have not had the success you had reason to expect and i had promised myself you will scarcely believe the extraordinary adventure that has befallen me i assure you nevertheless on the word of an honest man and you ought to believe me for nothing is more true than what i am going to tell you i then related to them my adventure with the same circumstances i had the honour to tell your majesty saadi rejected my assertion and said hassan you joke and would deceive me for what you say is a thing incredible what have vultures to do with turbans they only search for something to satisfy their hunger 
you have done as all such people as yourself generally do if they have made any extraordinary gain or any good fortune happens to them which they never expected they throw aside their work take their pleasure make merry while the money lasts and when they have eaten and drunk it all out are reduced to the same necessity and want as before you would not be so miserable but because you deserve it and render yourself unworthy of any service done to you sir i replied i bear all these reproaches and am ready to bear as many more if they were more severe and all with the greater patience because i do not think i deserve them the thing is so publicly known in this part of the town that there is nobody but can satisfy you of the truth of my assertions if you inquire you will find that i do not impose upon you i own i never heard of vultures flying away with turbans but this has actually happened to me like many other things which do not fall out every day and yet have actually happened saad took my part and told saadi a great many as surprising stories of vultures some of which he affirmed he knew to be true insomuch that at last he pulled his purse out of his vestband and counted out two hundred pieces of gold into my hand which i put into my bosom for want of a purse when saadi had presented me with this sum he said hassan i make you a present of these two hundred pieces but take care to put them in a safer place that you may not lose them so unfortunately as you have done the others and employ them in such a manner that they may procure you the advantages which the others would have done i told him that the obligation of this his second kindness was much greater than i deserved after what had happened and that i should be sure to make good use of his advice i would have said a great deal more but he did not give me time for he went away and continued his walk with his friend as soon as they were gone i left off work and went home but finding neither my wife nor children within i pulled out my money put ten pieces by and wrapped up the rest in a clean linen cloth tying it fast with a knot but then i was to consider where i should hide this linen cloth that it might be safe after i had considered some time i resolved to put it in the bottom of an earthen vessel full of bran which stood in a corner which i imagined neither my wife nor children would look into my wife came home soon after and as i had but little hemp in the house i told her i should go out to buy some without saying anything to her about the two friends while i was absent a sandman who sells scouring earth for the hair and body which women use in the baths passed through our street and called cleansing ho my wife who wanted some beckoned to him but as she had no money asked him if he would make an exchange of some earth for some bran the sandman asked to see the bran my wife showed him the pot the bargain was made she had the cleansing earth with which she filled a dust-hole i had made to the house and the sandman took the pot and bran along with him not long after i came home with as much hemp as i could carry and followed by five porters loaded also with hemp after i had satisfied them for their trouble i sat down to rest myself and looking about me could not see the pot of bran 
it is impossible for me to express to your majesty my surprise and the effect it had on me at the moment i asked my wife hastily what was become of it when she told me the bargain she had made with the sandman which she thought to be a very good one ah unfortunate woman cried i you know not the injury you have done me yourself and our children by making that bargain which has ruined us for ever you thought you only sold the bran but with the bran you have enriched the sandman with a hundred and ninety pieces of gold which saadi with his friend came and made me a second present of my wife was like one distracted when she knew what a fault she had committed through ignorance she cried beat her breast and tore her hair and clothes unhappy wretch that i am cried she am i fit to live after so dreadful a mistake where shall i find this sandman i know him not i never saw him in our street before oh husband added she you were much to blame to be so reserved in a matter of such importance this had never happened if you had communicated the secret to me in short i should never finish my story were i to tell your majesty what her grief made her say you are not ignorant how eloquent women often are in their afflictions wife said i moderate your grief by your weeping and howling you will alarm the neighbourhood and there is no reason they should be informed of our misfortunes they will only laugh at instead of pitying us we had best bear our loss patiently and submit ourselves to the will of god and bless him for that out of two hundred pieces of gold which he had given us he has taken back but a hundred and ninety and left us ten which by the use i shall make of them will be a great relief to us my wife at first did not relish my arguments but as time softens the greatest misfortunes and makes them more supportable she at last grew easy and had almost forgotten them it is true said i to her we live but poorly but what have the rich which we have not do not we breathe the same air enjoy the same light and the same warmth of the sun therefore what conveniences have they more than we that we should envy their happiness they die as well as we in short while we live in the fear of god as we should always do the advantage they have over us is so very inconsiderable that we ought not to covet it i will not tire your majesty any longer with my moral reflections my wife and i comforted ourselves and pursued my trade with as much alacrity as before these two mortifying losses which followed one another so quickly the only thing that troubled me sometimes was how i should look saadi in the face when he should come and ask me how i had improved his two hundred pieces of gold and advanced my fortune by means of his liberality i saw no remedy but to resolve to submit to the confusion i should feel though it was by no fault of mine this time any more than before that our misfortune had happened the two friends stayed away longer this time than the former though saad had often spoken to saadi who always put it off for said he the longer we stay away the richer hassan will be and i shall have the greater satisfaction 
Saad, who had not the same opinion of the effect of his friend's generosity, replied, You fancy, then, that your last present will have been turned to a better account than the former. I would advise you not to flatter yourself too much, for fear you may be more sensibly mortified, if it should prove otherwise. Why, replied Saadi, vultures do not fly away with turbans every day, and Hassan will have been more cautious this time. I do not doubt it, replied Saad, but, added he, there are other accidents that neither you nor I can think of. Therefore, I say again, moderate your expectations, and do not depend too much on Hassan's success. For to tell you what I think, and what I always thought, whether you like to hear it or not, I have a secret presentiment that you will not have accomplished your purpose, and that I shall succeed better in proving that a poor man may sooner become rich by other means than money. One day, when Sa'ad and Sa'adi were disputing upon this subject, Sa'ad observed that enough had been said. I am resolved, continued he, to inform myself this very day what has passed. It is a pleasing time for walking. Let us not lose it, but go and see which of us has lost the wager. I saw them at a distance, was overcome with confusion, and was just going to leave my work to run and hide myself. However, I refrained, appeared very earnest at work, made as if I had not seen them, and never lifted up my eyes till they were close to me and had saluted me, and then I could not help myself. I hung down my head, told them my last misfortune, with all the circumstances, and that I was as poor as when they first saw me. After that, I added, you may say that I ought to have hidden my money in another place than in a pot of bran, which was carried out of my house the same day. But that pot had stood there many years, and had never been removed, whenever my wife parted with the bran. Could I guess that a sandman should come by that very day, my wife have no money, and would make such an exchange? You may indeed allege that I ought to have told my wife of it, but I will never believe that such prudent persons, as I am persuaded you are, would have given me that advice. And if I had put my money anywhere else, what certainty could I have had that it would be more secure? I see, sir, said I, addressing myself to Saadi, that it has pleased God, whose ways are secret and impenetrable, that I should not be enriched by your liberality, but that I must remain poor. However, the obligation is the same as if it had wrought the desired effect. After these words I was silent, and Saadi replied, Though I would persuade myself, Hassan, that all you tell us is true, and not owing to your debauchery or ill-management, yet I must not be extravagant and ruin myself for the sake of an experiment. I do not regret in the least the four hundred pieces of gold I gave you to raise you in the world. I did it in duty to God, without expecting any recompense but the pleasure of doing good. If anything makes me repent, it is that I did not address myself to another who might have made a better use of my charity. Then turning about to his friend, Saad, 
continued he, you may know by what I have said that I do not entirely give up the cause. You may now make your experiment, and let me see that there are ways besides giving money to make a poor man's fortune. Let Hassan be the man. I dare say, whatever you may give him, he will not be richer than he was with four hundred pieces of gold. Sa'ad had a piece of lead in his hand, which he showed Sa'adi. You saw me, said he, take up this piece of lead, which I found on the ground. I will give it Hassan, and you shall see what it is worth. Sa'adi burst out laughing at Sa'ad. What is that bit of lead worth? said he. A farthing? What can Hassan do with that? Sa'ad presented it to me, and said, Take it, Hassan. Let Sa'adi laugh. You will tell us some news of the good luck it has brought you, one time or another. I thought Sa'ad was in jest, and had a mind to divert himself. However, I took the lead and thanked him. The two friends pursued their walk, and I fell to work again. At night, when I pulled off my clothes to go to bed, the piece of lead, which I had never thought of from the time he gave it to me, tumbled out of my pocket. I took it up and laid it on the place that was nearest me. End of section 27